We're in this series called Living for His Glory. I see we have some guests today. Welcome, guests. And know that you've come for a teaching in James this morning. Oh, boy, I heard. <laughs> some of you are familiar with the book of James. And know that James cuts straight to what he wants to say. And he doesn't hold any punches. So today, you might want to strap on your seatbelt, put on your pastel helmet, whatever works for you. But we're going to go through James today. This morning, we'll be looking at a sermon titled, Doers of the Word. We're going to be studying James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27 this morning. And before we open up the scriptures together, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you that we come into a place this morning not to share our opinions with one another, but we come to open up your truth, the word of truth. God, you have given us your words that we might learn, that we might know you. God, we pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us through the scriptures this morning. God, we pray that you would help us to endure through the scriptures as we will be challenged this morning. God, I pray this morning that we would leave this place encouraged to be doers of your word for your glory alone. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I hope you do, open up to James chapter 1. If you happen not to have a Bible, you can grab one off the back table or in the bulletin will be the text for our message this morning. James chapter 1, once you get in there and you find verse 19, if you please stand with me for the public reading of God's word. James chapter 1. Starting in verse 19, we read, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So reads God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Please be seated, church. All right, we've locked the door so no one can run out. We've, we've exposed the text for this morning. And no one's leaving. You know, it's interesting. If you've ever looked up the word Christian in an English dictionary, it's interesting in what you get as the answer in the dictionary. First, you'll see it's a noun. The dictionary will say it's a noun. It's a person who believes in Jesus Christ. But it will also say it's an adjective, which means it's pertaining to or derived from Jesus Christ or his teachings. But I think as we look at James this morning, James is going to tell us that our English dictionary is missing something. 
it's missing a part of speech. And that part of speech is a verb. You see, Christian is also a verb. To be Christian means to act like Christ. It means to be a doer of the word. Thus, that's where we get our title this morning. Doers of the word. If you recall our last study in James, we ended in verse 18. That God uses the word of truth to save us. We know that scripture tells us in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. As we look at the text this morning, James understands the importance of God's word. And he warns that it's imperative that we receive it, but that we also respond to it. So regarding God's word, look back at the text this morning. In James chapter 1, starting in verse 19 and 20, we read, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Here we have this one sentence. And I must be quick to confess to you this morning that I have used this one statement out of context many times. I have used that one statement that James gives to apply oftentimes to interpersonal communication, maybe between a husband and a wife. And sure, we can find lots of wisdom from the book of Proverbs that validates a lot of this. But this is not how James is writing this to be used. James has bookended this sentence between verse 18 and verses 21 through 25 that all speak about the word, God's word. So we have to keep that in mind as we look that James is talking about God's word. So put on those goggles this morning as we look at this, that he's speaking about God's word. Remember how James started off this letter? He encouraged believers how to righteously respond to trials. Remember that? Count it all joy. The very next week, my Achilles tendon popped over there. And I remember Joel was here and he came in the next week and said, hey, make sure you don't preach on being poor. And that was the text the next week. Count it all joy. He starts off, count it all joy. When various trials come into your life. But then he flips in and he says, what else? How to live righteously through temptation. So first, it's trials. And then it's temptation. And church, we need to realize this, that in both trials and in temptation, we have the opportunity to obey either our flesh or to obey God. We can please ourselves, or we can please God. And for those of us that are filled with the Spirit of God, you know that a real war breaks out within us. There is a battle within. But if we begin to side with the flesh, we'll not like to hear God's word. We don't like to hear things that say, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Because we want to go with the flesh. We may be quick to justify our actions to aid our conscience in thinking that it's okay. We may even downplay God's word and say, well, it's not truly relevant to us or to me. Some may even get mad at the messenger. They get mad at the pastor. Or they get mad at the other believer who shared a scripture. And they're angry with them. 
Some people even get mad at God. When they see his word, it says, deny yourself and pick up your cross. Follow Jesus. They might angrily say to God, don't you want me to be happy? Not realizing that happiness is not found in the very things that God says will bring destruction upon you. James here in verses 19 and 20, if you'll look again with me. Think about this being the word of God as the word of God comes forward. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So take a second, because I know many of us are familiar with that sentence, that verse. But I want you to wrap your minds around the fact that James is talking about our response to God's word. Think about that. Look at it again in a whole new light. We need to be quick to hear, to listen to God. Not so quick in talking back to God, but to listen, to receive. And you think about, oftentimes we talk about a quiet time with God. Church, there shouldn't just be a quiet time. We're to meditate upon His Scriptures day and night. We're to chew upon them, to think of them, to tell others about them. But here we see we're to be quick to hear. It reminds me of something that's written in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 say, Guard your steps when you go into the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. I'll give you an example of what that looks like today. We go into communion with God and say, hey God, aren't you proud of me? Look how great I'm doing. Look at all that I've done. Instead of going, God, here I am. Speak, Lord. And looking at his word. He says they don't know that what they are doing is evil. He says, be not rash with your mouth. Lord, let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Church, I have to tell you, how many times do we run into prayer and forget who we're praying to? How many times do we just let something fly out and forget who we're speaking to? He is God in the heavens. It's his way, not our way. We go to him and say, Lord, your will be done, not my will. So we see here, quick to hear. Proverbs has a whole bunch of things to say about communication and how to communicate. But let's think about our communication with God. Looking at Proverbs 18, verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in his expressing his opinion. You ever hear a scripture or God speaks you through his word and you're like, but by God, but, but, and you're trying to justify and rationalize and skirt around it? It's to receive, to listen, to understand what God is saying. Proverbs 18, verse 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly. And shame. How many times do we come before God and tell Him what needs to take place? Instead of saying, Lord, here I am. I'm ready to receive, to listen, to hear. Not only quick to hear, but we're to be slow to speak. Proverbs 10 19. Oh boy, here we go. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent, is wise. Think about it. That's just coming to listen. Let me zip it. Just here. 
and listen and seek understanding. Proverbs 15, verse 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Church, see that first part of that counsel of wisdom? To ponder how to answer. You ever challenged with the Word of God? Do you remember how James starts this letter when he says, when trials come upon us, he says, we're going to need something. You guys remember that in verse 5? Wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom in how to respond to this. So when we're challenged, God, give me wisdom how to respond rightly. You ever heard someone say, I just need to vent? Well, believe it or not, there are those who even vent on God. Just blah. Proverbs says something interesting about venting. Proverbs 29, verse 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Again, if we go back to that passage in Ecclesiastes and we understand who we're coming before, God, holy and righteous and sovereign over all things, I might zip my lip and know that when my complaint comes out, it would be against him. And I would come and say, God, give me wisdom how to respond. God, may I respond rightly. Because my flesh so wants to be pleased and it wants its own thing that it leads me to an emotion of anger when it doesn't get it. And that's why we read here, be slow to anger. Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Slow to anger. That when we come to God's word, we come to understand. We come to look and seek him God, what is it that you desire? God, reveal yourself to me that my life might glorify you. Church, you remember, we recently went through the book of Ephesians. God has taken us out of darkness and made us light for his glory, for his name's sake. We continue in the, James this morning, in the second half of that statement in verse 20, he says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Basically, that means responding with anger doesn't produce righteous living. Responding with anger is not going to produce righteousness in you. Do you know what will? Listening and obeying God's word. That's what produces righteous living. Now, I've used the illustration before. Many of us, God has called out of darkness and made us light. And we want him to also take our actions, our thoughts, and everything, and just go, bloop, all done over here. Changed. But instead, he's given us his spirit to empower us to walk in his grace, to demonstrate, to be a witness of his grace within us, to live righteously before him. So James keeps walking us through this this morning. In verse 21, look how he responds. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He begins by commanding us to repent from all excuses that we've made not to obey his word. Think about how many things we come up with to not obey. To repent from all justifying that what we have done is okay. You know, we like to try to conform our conscience and make it feel better so we justify our disobedience. So it doesn't feel so bad. God didn't really mean that. God really means for me just to be happy and do what I want. 
After all, Nike says, just do it. So we start justifying. James said, put away those things. Turn from those things. Turn from downplaying God's word as though it doesn't apply to us. Church, what we have to understand here, when James addresses this, it's because sin hardens our hearts. But repentance softens them again. This is why the writer of Hebrews writes, for us as believers to exhort one another every day, as long as it's cold today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Remember I talked about earlier that sometimes when someone hears the word of God, whether it's the pastor that said it or a fellow believer, they don't always want to hear it. So what Hebrews tells us here is not something that's easy. Because the hearer doesn't always want to hear it. James is saying we need a desire to hear God's word. We should like the fact that someone would love us enough to come and encourage us and exhort us in the faith. That someone that might see a blind spot in my life, some sin that's creeping in my life that I don't even see, would love me enough, would care about the glory of God enough to come and gently exhort me in the faith. Jeremiah tells us this. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3 says, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Our hearts that become hardened to break them up once again. In other words, prepare the soil for God's word. James says, turn away from all these things. Rampant wickedness, filthiness. Church, as believers in Christ, we have something that's beautiful. We have Christ who is our intercessor. We have him who intercedes on our behalf. We have him who we can go to and confess our sins. Many of you are very familiar with 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a glory hallelujah. So once we've confessed and we've repented, our hearts are readied with good soil to receive God's implanted word. Look with me in James 1.21 again. Therefore put away all filthiness, rapid wickedness, repentance, confession, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Church, that word meekness means humility. We know the same writer here, James, he later quotes in chapter 4 that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see, confession and repentance are signs of humility. They're signs that are agreeing that God is right and we are not. Confession is just agreement with God that that is wrong. Repentance is agreeing so much that we turn from it. So he says, receive with meekness the implanted word. This word implanted, literal meaning of it is the planting of a seed in the ground. You guys remember Jesus told a parable about a sower? With a sower and the seed? Let's look at just a portion of it. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 18, looking at just a portion of this parable. Jesus says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, 
but endures for a while. And listen, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Didn't James start off this letter by addressing that? Saying these trials in our life are meant to help us to endure, to produce endurance. Verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this was the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. That's the second thing that James talked about, temptation. First was trials, then temptation. It says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. Inferring responds. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another case 60, and in another case 30. What does that mean? It means that the word of God has come into that person and it's produced something good out of them. There is evidence that there was good soil for their good and for God's glory. James says in order for that to occur, we must receive God's word with humility. Church, do we go to him for counsel? Do we go to him even ask him, God, reveal yourself more to me? Or do we think that we've arrived and attained and I know everything about God? I'm ready to write a book. Or is it every time, God, reveal yourself more? Do we have a hunger and thirst for his word? We must be quick to listen to God's word. We must resist the temptation to dismiss it or to downplay it. Not only do we need to listen to God's word, but James is not done. He says we need to act upon it. The very next verse, verse 22, many of you are familiar with that verse. He says, but even though you have listened, you have heard, he says you need to be a doer of it and not a hearer only deceiving yourself. To be a doer means to obey, to obey God's word. Church, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor people have come to me to tell me how they're okay because all day long they listen to sermons. They say, I listen to my favorite preachers all day long. And yet there's no evidence of God's grace within them. There's nothing pouring out of them that is evidence that they are now light. They can give you the answers. They might do great on Jeopardy. But there's no evidence of the witness of grace in God, of God in their life. They believe that because they hear God's word that they're okay spiritually. They think because maybe they even are very regimented every morning. They read their Bible. They think because of that, they're okay spiritually. James says that if they're only hearers, they're deceived. They're deceived. To think that I am a Christian and for scriptures to declare otherwise is a scary thing. And thus we're given warnings not to be deceived. James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You guys remember towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave a similar warning. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What does he say? But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You guys see the difference? It's not just what we say and what we think. 
It's what comes out of us. Is there a witness of the grace of God that's been poured into us that comes out of us? If we've gone from darkness to light, there should be evidence of that. It should flow out of us. Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? Sounds pretty good to me. Sounds like they were doing a lot of stuff. And he says, I'll declare to them I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You workers of lawlessness. They weren't walking in obedience to God. They were trying to work their way into heaven. Not just following the Spirit. You read when he says there'll be many. Is that scary to anybody? Or sad? James says, do not be deceived. There's evidence here that many are hearers and not doers, and they're deceiving themselves. I hear people often say, well, but I love Jesus. What does that look like in the life of a believer? What does it look like to love Jesus? I've seen t-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. I'm pretty sure you don't know Jesus if he's your homeboy. He's Lord. Jesus himself said three times in John chapter 14 what it looks like to love him. Starting at verse 21, he says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Again in verse 23, If anyone loves me, Jesus says, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The very next verse, he says the flip of it. He says, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The evidence comes out. This is what James is addressing, to be doers of the word. You know, we, we've spoken of it before, John 3.16, many of us know it. You know, before God drew us unto Christ and, and in faith, we've seen like in the football field and end zone, someone's holding the John 3.16 sign, and maybe had no clue what it meant. But now, for the believer, oh, God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son. That if we would only believe, we shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. Such glorious news. But just a handful of verses later helps us understand what it means to believe. In John chapter 3, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Church, if we have turned, God has given us the gift of repentance and faith in Christ. He's also given us the gift of his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit now produces fruit within us. Instead of living lawlessly and doing our own thing, God has given us a new heart, new desires to seek after him, to love him genuinely, to obey him. Sinclair Ferguson said this, and I think it's very fitting for the study this morning. Sinclair Ferguson said, there's no such thing as genuine knowledge of God that does not show itself in obedience to his word and will. There is no such thing as genuine knowledge of God that does not show itself in obedience to his word and will. Because if he's given me the gift of repentance and of faith, he's also given me his spirit. He's given me a new heart with new desires. James gives us an illustration of what this looks like. James chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. 
He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now I'm guessing that most of you, if not all of you, have a mirror in your home. That when you get ready for the day, you often look in the mirror. What are you looking for? For those of us that have hair, probably see if your hair is in place. For those of you that drool when you sleep like I do, to make sure the drool's off your face. Or anything else that is out of place. But imagine one who would go and look intently at themselves and see all of that and walk away and forget about it. James says that's like the one who hears the word and walks away and forgets all about it. How many times are we even guilty that we would show up on a Sunday, hear the message, hear God's word, and then walk away and someone says, hey, what was church about? And you go, hmm, give me a minute. Because we get so used to just being hearers instead of seeking to respond. God, how do you want me to respond to this truth? God, what are you saying in this that I should respond to? That should be as we're going through that God would reveal himself to us so that there would be a response on our behalf. That it wouldn't just be I heard it and now I forgot it. Like going and looking in the mirror and seeing all the things that need to be changed on my face and my hair, wherever, and walking away so it didn't even exist. That's not how we act. We look intently in the mirror. We change something. We should be looking intently at God's word. We see that in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Notice he talks about he who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. He's talking about God's word. The perfect law, the law of liberty. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. You guys know this part. And the truth will set you free. Liberty, freedom in Christ, in his word. What does that mean for us? Much different than the day when James wrote this. When it was going out audibly and they were being told, now we have it recorded for us. We have it all here. But do we spend time in God's word? Do we spend time not only to listen and to read, but to meditate upon it, to respond to it. That's the encouragement for us in 2018, that we would jump into that F260 reading plan, but then do the here journal, that we would respond to his word. That it wouldn't just be a gloss over that we, oh yeah, I read it and I'm good, and I can't remember what I read this morning. Have you ever been there? I read something, I'm not sure what it was. But now it would be something I spend time with and I meditate upon. See, God's word, empowered by his spirit, guides us on the path of righteousness. We're freed from the bondage of sin, and now we're free to follow and obey God. It's the work he's done in our lives. His spirit empowers us to do it. His word guides us into it. If we look again at verse 25 in James, you'll see the latter half. He says, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Then comes blessing. So what does a hearer do? According to James here in 25, he forgets. According to verse 22, deceived. The hearer. 
but a doer is one who acts upon it. They receive God's word and they respond to it. They obey it. Remember, Christian is also a verb. Earlier, I, I talked to Jesus speaking at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. He didn't stop there. He said a few more words after that. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, here's how he finishes up. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Notice this first church. For the one who did what he said, guess what? The storm still came. Did you see that? The storm still came. But it stood, it endured, it persevered. But he continues, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The doer of the word, the one who is sustained, perseveres, endures, being a doer of God's word, not a hearer only. You know, there are oftentimes people talk about how religious they are. And I love that James, in our last couple of verses, is going to address this idea of religion. Look with me at verse 26 and 27. Verse 26 and 27, James chapter 1. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, look what he says, but deceives his heart, second time, deceives himself, this person's religion is worthless. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the word. James says pure religion is marked by three things. Speech, service, and separation. Speech, service, and separation. Remember what Jesus said about what comes out of our mouth? He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The first thing he talks about, James says, is speech. Is it evident that the Holy Spirit has indwelt us, that we're responding to God's word in obedience by what we say? I have known people who have been believers. They claim to profess Christ for many years, and they will say their shortcoming is their tongue. And yet their tongue remains the same day after day, year after year, decade after decade. Where is the witness of grace of God's Spirit? Now, James will go into a whole lot in chapter 3 on the tongue, knowing that tongue is not easy to tame. But he says here, look, you want to talk about pure religion? It starts with speech, how we speak. If we speak in a manner that doesn't glorify God, are we quick to confess and to repent? Or are we quick to justify and say, well, that's no big deal. Everybody does it or they deserved it. Repentance. He then says the second part is service. We see in verse 27, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now, put this in a much broader sense. What is he speaking about when he talks about orphans and widows? He's talking about those who had nobody else to take care of them. They had nothing to offer in return. 
There were those that only need to be served and could not give anything in return. It was true service unto God. To go and care for them knowing you would receive nothing in return. So don't only box it into saying it's just widows and it's just orphans. True service unto God is serving those that there is nothing you're getting in return from them. James is about to go right into partiality. Talking about you have somebody who comes in who's rich and somebody who's poor and you go to the rich person, oh, you should sit in the best seat and, and you sit at my feet to the other person. That's completely wrong. It's self-seeking. This, he says, pure religion, undefiled religion, is serving others looking for nothing in return. We've talked about this before. As little as not looking even for a thank you. We've got people who get upset. I serve one another and I've served. I told you about, you know, I used to open the door and, you know, someone didn't say thank you. It's like, you're welcome. Self-seeking. That wasn't a servant's heart. It wasn't unto God. I was looking for something in return. So first, speech. He says, then service. And then lastly, he says, separation. He says, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Anybody have any idea how you would keep yourself unstained from the world? Put it in context, what we just studied today. If you're failing at, at the context, go to the title of the sermon. It's about being a doer of the word. You know, here's the crazy thing about this. That the moment that we stop obeying God's word is the moment we begin to get contaminated by the world. It's that fast. You guys with me? The moment you take your eyes off of Jesus, the world is all around. That we must be intentional. At God, I desire to glorify you. God, I desire to follow you, to obey you. James argues in this text this morning, church, that we must be serious about being doers of God's word. He warns, don't be deceived by just being a hearer. That just because you read the Bible or you went to church or you listened to a sermon, what effect is it having in your life? Are you growing in sanctification, being more and more like Jesus? As we end 2017, can you look back to a year ago, the end of 2016, and see what the Spirit of God has done in you in growing you in sanctification? Because if you look back and go, I'm not sure about that answer. Guess what? Today's the day to start. Today's the day to turn from everything else and to turn to Him. Today's the day to say, you know what? I'm going to get serious. I'm going to do this, this reading plan this year. And I'm going to journal. I'm going to write. And I'm going to ask God, God, show me. I want to listen. And I want to respond to you. I want my life to bring you glory. That we would be a people who are thankful for what He's done in our lives. We would be people that our lives respond by shining as a light. To be a light that shines, that he would receive all honor and glory in us. Church, my encouragement to you this morning is be a doer of the word. If you were here this morning, you said, Pastor, that's all fine and dandy, but where does it all begin? Where does faith even start? This morning, if the Spirit of God has communicated to you the reality that there is life that is different, that it's not the life that perhaps you've lived before, but there is life that is new in Christ, that there is a different way to live life. Not how you did before, but there's a way that God has designed for us to live, that God has created us. He has fashioned and formed us, and he desires for us to live in a manner that would bring him glory, 
this morning, our response will be to repent, to turn from our way, and to turn to him and to trust in Jesus Christ. Church together, might he receive all honor and glory. Remember, it's for him, for God, for his glory, and it's forever. Let's pray. Father, this morning we slow down as we've been challenged by your word to even be mindful that when we come into prayer, that we're mindful of who we are praying to. God, we thank you that you tell us that we can come boldly before your throne of grace, that we can receive your grace in a time of need. God, I pray this morning that in this place that there would be hearts and minds that would turn to you and say, God, forgive me for the way that I have lazadaisically approached your word, for the way that I have reluctantly applied your word in my life. That today, in a moment of humbling, a moment of confession and repentance, that our hearts are prepared, God, for you to speak. God, would you continue to reveal yourself to us, continue drawing us nearer to yourself. God, may we have a hunger and thirst for your word, not just to skim over it, but to read it, to meditate upon it, to apply it and respond to it. God, we look forward to the calendar flipping over 2018. And God, we look forward to a year together that we grow in looking more and more like Jesus. To you be the glory now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.